Hello, everyone, and welcome to Longevity Now, the place for all your news and views of life extension from around the world. In today's fast-paced technological society, it seems like everything happens with a click of a mouse. Seems like projects get off the ground in mere seconds. In reality, behind the scenes, there are a lot of people doing a lot of hard work, putting in a lot of hours. And that is the case with tonight's guest, who is working on a doctorate degree at the Buck Institute in California, while also being a vice president of another life extension organization halfway around the world. We need more people like this. And now I would like to welcome to Longevity Now, Maria Conovalenko. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be a part of your podcast. Well, first off, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in life extension and transhumanism? Absolutely. So I graduated from Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology, which is pretty much like MIT, but in Russia. It's like the best technical school. And my major was molecular biological physics. And one of the courses that I did during my master's was basics of gerontology. And through my professor, because he knew that I could speak English and I could, you know, do some translations of scientific literature from English into Russian, uh, he kind of introduced me to Mikhail Batin, who is the head of the Science for Life Extension Foundation, the nonprofit that I ended up working for. Well, I still am, but I started in 2008. So it's been a while that we've been working together. And I basically got interested in uh, aging science, in uh, transhumanism because of Mikhail. He was the one who kind of opened my eyes on the most important problem that we have to deal with, which is aging, because it doesn't really matter what you like in life, right? Whether, you know, it's creativity, children, like family, art, uh, money, I, I mean, you name it, whatever makes you, you know, joyful, it's you have to be alive sure. first. Like that is the, the most important thing. And it has to be fixed because aging is the main killer. And uh, we started working in the Science for Life Extension Foundation. The aim of the organization is to increase the scope of the field of longevity, which means mostly getting more money because, well, is the origin of life. I can tell you as a biologist to a biologist, like there is more research when there's funding, there are more results, and obviously the progress uh, moves on much faster sure. if there's not so, so you're the current vice president of Science for Life Extension Foundation? Right. Yes, and one of the focuses you've mentioned here is getting more funding for research, of course, which is very, very important. Uh, what other things does the organization do so we've been getting media, trying to get as much media attention to the topic of transhumanism as possible. We've organized genetics of aging and longevity conferences, and I think that they were uh, very successful. It was really a high quality science with a lot of foreign speakers, and the first one was in 2012 in Moscow that we did, and the other one was in Sochi in 2014, so um, a year ago. That generated a lot of media coverage uh, in Russia, at least. Well, we were based in Russia. Right now we're like one foot in Russia, one foot here in the Bay Area, just because I started my PhD in biology of aging at USC with the Buck Institute, so I'm doing research at the Buck right now. And I will stay here for the next 
well, okay. until I graduate. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, your media events have been successful because I've certainly heard of them. And if you had to say, with your experience through the Science for Life Extension Foundation, what things have been the most successful for advancing the study of aging and rejuvenation and what uh, hasn't been so successful? Generally, I can say that it's really, really hard to raise money for longevity research. The topic is quite complicated, and we've been trying to raise money from two major sources. The one is um, Russian government. We had one um, substantial success here. We were able to raise $6 million for regenerative medicine research. It's the work of Paolo Maccherini. He's the Italian thoracic surgeon who came up with the technology how to tissue engineer um, airways. And uh, so we helped uh, submit the paperwork for this um, mega grant competition that the Russian government had. And Paula was able to receive the award. And there is a lab uh, set up in Krasnodar. It's like a, a smaller city in the south of Russia. They have built a strong collaboration with the Karolinska Institute. And um, from what I hear right now, they've been doing some really great work, preclinical work, uh, like animal studies for engineering the esophagus. So that Mm -hmm. would be one of the most successful things that has been accomplished. What are some other things that you tried that didn't quite work out? I would say the party. Russian Longevity Party. So the idea, we've had this idea for several years, just because Mikhail Budin, and I also have the same opinion, we think that defeating aging is a political task. It's the political will that is needed to grant enough funding. And, well, how do we change, you know, the existing political uh, view on one topic or another. Well, you you do many different things. Or, I mean, a political party is uh, one of them. And we tried to officially register a political party in Russia. It was 2000, was it 12? Uh, it was before Putin became president, yes. So it was, I guess, the end of 2011. It was the point of time when uh, the Russian government uh, said, oh, okay, like we're going to lower the bar for the new parties to be registered. Like before, before that, you would need half a million people to be on board in order to be able to register a party, which is a daunting task. And they lowered it to, I don't know, uh, significantly. And we thought that we could give it a shot. Although the situation has changed rapidly, we did file the initial paperwork, but forming a party legally requires setting up representatives, like representative offices, in at least half of the regions in Russia. And there are 89 of those. Mm. So it's like you would need to have people, you know, all over the place. It's a lot of organizational work. We unfortunately did not have the organizational manpower, money, and, you know, the time to do that. And then quite rapidly the situation changed to the worse. And now Russia is not a democracy. It is an autocracy. And right now people go to prison for forming parties, political parties. So it's really dangerous and like really, really dangerous. So that's why we're not pursuing this path any longer. Just because, yeah, it doesn't make much sense in terms of longevity to go to Russian prison. Yes, I understand. (laughs) Well, in addition to the uh, Russian organizations that you mentioned, there are a lot of group, uh, groups of activists, such as Longevity, around the world, and they're all working toward a similar goal. Do you think 
the whole movement would be more effective if there was a lot more cooperation? Or do you think the diversity of the groups is an asset in itself? Uh, definitely more cooperation is needed. I, I strongly believe that there should be more events. Uh, people should interact with each other much more, both online and offline. And people should unite. And I think that probably transhumanists can start with doing one very simple action together. We haven't even learned how to do that. So for us, as a movement, there are things that we can work on. And it's really great that there are many people in different countries. And this is really awesome to see people from India, from South Africa, you name it. I mean, a lot of countries have people really interested, but there's no strong leadership and you talked about that in the past at a conference back in April of 2013. You gave a presentation about the dark matter of transhumanism, how it seemed there be a there seemed to be a force out there that prevented people from really acknowledging how good life extension would be. Do you have any updated thoughts on that? Is that fading away, or is the dark matter stronger now? I wouldn't say it's stronger. It's still there. It's still not clear how we can increase the number of supporters. But one thing is really clear. We have to try. We have to try different things. We have to be involved in transhumanism-related projects. And by trial and error, we will come up with the thing that works. Right now, in fact, we are thinking about or participating in organizing a conference on the strategies of transhumanism. So it's going to be like the update, the um, evolution of that dark matter talk. Well, let's switch to the science side of things. What lab research are you conducting right now? Well, right now I'm doing C. elegans, well, worm uh, longevity research. I'm doing rotations. So I'm not, I haven't you know, started my PhD thesis work. So right now I'm still choosing the lab. Currently I'm doing work, uh, research at uh, Brian Kennedy's lab at the Buck Institute. It is awesome, <laughs> in two words. So I'm going to have another rotation and I'm going to work with some other PI. I haven't chosen that yet. I still have some time. Then, by the end of May, I will make my final choice and uh, will be able to tell everybody, you know, what I'm going to be working on. But it's a mystery for me, myself. I, I just, I haven't made that decision yet. All right. And then also you're working on something called the Longevity Cookbook. How is that going? In fact, uh, we've been working on Longevity Cookbook since the end of summer, and it's uh, our main project. And this is what we are focusing right now entirely. It's moving along. We're pre- currently preparing the crowdfunding campaign. And a couple of words about the cookbook. So what's it going to be? I think it's going to be a really awesome product. It's going to be an ebook, And it's going to talk about, about two major things. The first thing. It's going to talk about the food, obviously, because it will be a cookbook and it will have the recipes. And we are going to analyze using bioinformatics approaches everything that is published right now about uh, various impacts of different food products on health and longevity. So it's going to be like the meta-analysis of the meta-analysis. Basically, we're going to take the best papers and show the controversies because there's a lot of data that contradicts other pieces of data. 
So it's going to be like a story about the current state of science. What does science now know about what tomatoes or cabbage or goji bears would do to your health? And that's one part. So this part would be increasing the chances for longevity part. And the other part would be ensuring the radical life extension. And the second part would talk about how we cook longevity in terms of science. And we're going to talk about the mechanisms of aging, how we can intervene, what are the most promising experiments right now that nobody really is talking about that should be done that will yield therapies in a um, fairly reasonable, fairly short time frame. So the book aims at promoting aging research through something that is easy to digest, no pun intended. Yeah, that's a, that's a great pun, I think. Speaking about diet and some health practices that might help you live longer, do you have any knowledge about methionine restriction as a method of prolonging health span? Yes, so there is uh, some published uh, research um, that says that, uh, indeed, if you reduce uh, methionine intake in the diet of rodents, in mice, they would live longer. And we do not know how that translates to humans because nobody really did clinical trials. And this is one other thing that we will put a huge emphasis on in our book. There are so many various things like supplements, like dietary regimes that people try, but there is no knowledge whether those things are effective or not, even safe or not. Uh, What are we advocating is clinical trials of various things, including foods, uh, various foods and food regimes. So we could actually say, yes, methionine, uh, restricting methionine in your diet actually improves your health, like reduces cancer risks or increases your longevity. But to be able to do that, we definitely need clinical trials and we need to develop a set of biomarkers of aging. We'll also talk about this in the book because it's really important to have a good measurement system to be able to evaluate those impacts really thoroughly. Okay. And speaking of strategies to increase your health span, do you have any personal things that you do as far as diet, exercise, or supplements that uh, help keep you young? And Well, not really. Just because I haven't really tried any supplements. Occasional, you know, melatonin just to be able to sleep better, especially when you're changing the time zones, but that's about it. I would not recommend anything to anybody right now because we don't know yet because of the reasons that I mentioned. There's a lack of clinical trials data. And also, everybody is really different. To be able to figure out what is good for you, you would need to measure your baseline levels of various, say, aging biomarkers. And then by introducing supplement uh, interventions or, say, exercise, you would be able to see what's it doing for you personally, right? Because everybody is different in terms of their biology. So until the cookbook, the longevity cookbook is created, I will not be able to figure that for myself. Well, I try to get, you know, exercise. When I was uh, staying in LA, I did go to the gym. 
since I've moved to San Francisco, which was really not a long time ago, I haven't figured that one out because, you know, moving is stressful, especially if you have to do this like two times a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very stressful. <laughs> so I don't intend to, to do that. I Just based on the amount of papers that I've read so far about the positive impact of exercise on various parameters like uh, synaptic plasticity, memory learning, and you name it. It's, wow, it's, I mean, it's really, really compelling. But again, until the book, uh, the cookbook is out, I will not be able to say that for sure. It's just like, it's a speculation right now. So the book comes out, the crowdfunding campaign will, I guess we will be able to create it by some time in May. Uh, right now, we've set up a website. It's um, longevitycookbook.io, and I welcome everyone to uh, check it out and share the post because we're posting some of the pieces of information that will go into the book. And well, that's exciting. Coming up in May. Finally, do you have any advice for longevity activists around the world? How they can be more effective, or any words of encouragement? Well, the words of encouragement would be never give up. Sometimes it's really hard and depressing even. For example, if you're talking to the people for the first time about you're you know, in a conversation with somebody who hears about longevity concept, the concept of life extension for the first time, it can be really, really frustrating because people would go on with counter arguments and sometimes it's really hard and to constantly be hearing all of that, to constantly be hearing people who are against your belief system. But my advice would be never give up and try to be involved in as as many conversations with like-minded people as possible because they will cheer you up. Well, those are great words of encouragement. Thank you so much for joining us on Longevity Now, Maria. Thank you very much for having me. What great advice. Talk with people who share your goals and it'll cheer you up. Another take-home point from today's podcast, life extension research is expensive. Help out Maria and others like her in the future by saving your pennies and donating to future research projects. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.